0: So we launched it as a free product so it was actually free for about two years whilst we worked on building it and the reason we could do that was because we had the luxury of having another product and through events and also having revenue coming in through our agency business it, it had it was a long time in incubation and over that time we learned so much about the market, about the needs and one of the biggest complaints we started to get after in that incubation period from people was that it was free and they didn't trust it <laughs>
1: Hey, Bob WP here, and welcome to Do The Woo, a podcast network for WooCommerce and WordPress builders. This show is brought to you by Hostinger, whether you're a small or large agency or a freelancer. Learn more about their hosting options at Hostinger.com. I'll tell you more about Hostinger later in the show. But exactly 300 episodes ago, on episode 87, Colin Daniels from Foo Sales and Foo Events joined us for a conversation. Now, on episode 387, host Jonathan has yet another conversation that takes us into Colin's entrepreneurial spirit and how he has built Foo Sales as well as insights into Foo Events. So if you're a product builder, there's a wealth of experience shared by Colin here. So let's get right into the show.
2: Welcome to Do The Woo. I'm your host today, Jonathan Wold, and with me is Colin Daniels, the co-founder of Foo Sales. Colin, welcome. Good morning, Jonathan. Good to be here. So you are a recurring guest of the show. You joined us just about three years ago. And it was your first time back. If I'm recalling correctly, this was episode like 87. We're now in the way into the 300s. It's uh, it's really good to have you back.
0: Yeah, time, time has really flown. And uh, it's amazing uh, what's happened uh, in the world in the last three years. So for those who aren't taking careful notes, uh, that
2: episode was in December of 2020. 2020 was a big year <laughs> for for all of us. And, um, at the time you described just to kind of catch people up a bit, you described it as you had both your best sales month and your worst sales month. And would you mind just like, just stretching back into 2020 for a moment and kind of give a snapshot of like what you guys were going through as a company, you had Foo events and Foo sales kind of, what was that like back in 2020?
0: Uh, I think it was crazy, Um, like it it was for many businesses. I I think for us, uh, firstly, we were a small company um, and both of our products were aimed around in-person sales and in-person events. So they were particularly hard hit by by the COVID uh, outbreak and restrictions around events and shops closing, for example. So it was it was a very anxious time for us um, and we, we had to be very agile and make some very very rapid decisions um, um, around supporting things like virtual events for example and with with foo sales we, we also had to think about what that meant and, and adding kind of functionality around allowing people to sort of order um, online and and pick up in person. And those were the types of discussions that we had um, internally. So, yeah. Um, And in terms of the the sales, you know, initially, I think the whole world panicked. Many consumers panicked. We saw that with lots of businesses. So we, we, we had some anxious months where we had some of the worst sales that we had ever experienced. And then all of a sudden, people... Uh, realized things, you know, wasn't Armageddon, and um, business had to continue. And our customers that we serve had to had to adapt and make money. We started to see some opportunities around that, which um, helped us to rebound.
2: Now, if I'm recalling correctly, most of your your customer base is small business, right? So those these were those who are like they were right at the heart of it. And one of the things that stood out to me, like you guys are also a small business. If if you it's interesting, right? Like if you hadn't adapted, you did choose to adapt. If you hadn't adapted, like that could have quite well been the end, right? Like you, you had food sales that was focused on retail, which hit really hard. They had the events, like two of the things that kind of most hard hit. And you, you guys were really quick to bring like a zoom integration on the event side of things. Uh, I, I think, uh, it, it was really hard, but what, what was it? like, why did you make, why did you adapt? Like, there's a lot of things that you could have done. Like what, what drove that? Like, we're going to be flexible. We're going to, we're going to, we don't know what we're doing exactly, but we're going to make those decisions. You alluded to a lot of decisions. Like what was at the heart of you making your way through that?
0: Yeah, I think it was adapt or die. Literally. Um, I think a few things that, that I can tell you, you know, firstly, we, we had, uh, set some cash aside so that would be one of the the lessons that that are continued so even though we we were bootstrapped and stuff we'd been very conservative and we'd made sure that we did you know we had a lot of retained profit that we had kept aside and fortunately that's what what partly helped us get through a few of these rough months so i'd say always good to have savings in the bank (laughs) that would be the first thing and and then i think secondly just having a great team i mean you know, I, I can't tell you, you know, we, we had a f- we've still got our original team. Uh, we, we, there's a lot of faith and trust in everybody in, within our team. Um, and we, we were all on the same page with, okay, you know, what are we going to do now? And, you know, these decisions were made in, in a number of hours uh, uh, very, very quickly. And so, so the second takeaway there was just really the, the benefits of having an amazing team that is used to adapting and being very agile. And making decisions quickly and moving on them in the in the face of uncertainty. Um, and then, um, yeah. Thirdly, I think listening to your customers. So, <laughs> you know, we we always do anyway. We are very customer-driven uh, product development company. But I would say that just listening to our customers, and we could see, you know, something like the the Zoom integration wasn't even on our roadmap. <laughs> it wasn't even there it's not like we you know moved it up and expedited it it wasn't even there but we just saw that our customers who as you pointed out were also small businesses that were putting on events and things like that they needed to still make money you know they couldn't just some of unfortunately did cancel events or postpone them or shut or, or they closed down but many of them were also hustling and um and we just saw this massive demand coming in for You know, how can we adapt and turn the product, uh, make it possible for people to sell tickets to virtual events with seamless integration with Zoom? That was where the biggest demand came in. And uh, so in a sense, they made the decision for us what we needed to do.
2: It's really interesting because you still had to decide, but you were already open and you guys were flexible. And as a small team where the trust was there, you were in a position where you could adapt and take advantage of the opportunities coming in. Cause this happens a lot. Customers often are in a position to tell the companies they're working with, like what they need and the company has to decide. Um, and, cause sometimes it's not like sometimes what they're asking for isn't the right thing to do. Right. Um, but oftentimes what happens with the companies, is that they just get stuck. They don't really go through that process for whatever reasons. So for you personally, if I'm recalling correctly, 2012, give or take, was when you started, and so you started out. Was were you still doing the agency work then? Because I know that that was where you guys started. When did when did product kind of come into the space?
0: Uh, yeah, so we started as an agency around uh, 2012, and you know we up until a few years ago we continued to do uh, agency work. So, but during that that period, we were always. Um, experimenting with products. We we were always fascinated. We always wanted to become a product company, but it was obviously difficult, uh, you know, without funding and without having a really solid idea. So so there were a few things that we tried, you know, sort of uh, sideline projects over that time whilst the, the clients paid the bills for our agency work. But I guess, you know, that where we really got serious about it was around 2015 which was re- when we started working on foo events um, and that came out of a client need you know we had tried other things which were more our ideas uh, products before before that but this this was the first time that we had actually seen a real need from from working on on clients sites and and a request to be able to seamlessly sell tickets for for an event they wanted to to host and as an agency, you know, we looked for solutions and we just really couldn't find anything that met the, the client's full requirements. And that's where, you know, we decided to, to, to work on a minimum viable product. Um, and that, that's where Foo Events first started. So uh, the origins go back to 2015.
2: I love in the podcast um, three, about three years or so back that uh, you described Foo Events as your first your first successful product which which tells uh, hints at the hints at the the journey that you guys went on that you tried different things and sort of you went to that that's excellent so for you personally as a co-founder as an entrepreneur you're now sitting on like over a decade since you guys started the company like how how has that journey been for you like did you have an entrepreneurial background before this like uh yeah how's that been
0: so I guess the last 10 years I mean it's gone very quickly if I'm honest it feels like a whirlwind and and a lot has happened in in this, t- this period of time um besides covid you know just we've we've pivoted the company you know a few times we've had various hurdles and obstacles and strife that we've we've had to to contend with um and I would once again just say that flexibility and adaptability and resilience uh has played in for the last 10 years because every year has been different. Even when we were an agency, you know, we were losing clients, gaining clients, having to make decisions about what technologies to support and what not to support. So it's just been, every year has been almost, you know, a, uh, new new challenges and and new opportunities so um it's it's been a very interesting uh past 10 years and i think you know we've we've grown tremendously as a company but and without that experience i don't think we would have been doing what we're doing now that's all you know the skills the, uh, the expertise the knowledge all of that stuff has played into creating these products and uh the fact Where are we taking them? Where are we planning on taking them? So I think it was fundamental in in allowing us to get where we are today. We couldn't have just jumped into, to say, building plugins um, and understanding the market and the audience and having the skills to do it because both through events and through sales, they're quite... Complex products. There's a lot going on. Uh, they have apps, uh, you know, native apps that we also build. So, so there's a lot of technologies and things and integrations that we we do behind the scenes. In terms of my background, um, you know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and uh, you know, from an early age. Um, but uh, you know, I worked in corporate for a good number of years whilst I sort of cut my teeth, um, and. Uh, yeah, the first opportunity I had you know to be able to to start a business with my co-founder uh, Robin who we had worked together f- for a number of years before that in these corporate uh, uh, settings um, you know we we took it and we just kind of evolved from there
2: I love it let's talk about foo sales so uh, three years back you foo sales was still fairly fairly new, like you were working on, you had a proof of, like you were working, it was an active product. Now catch us up on the, well, actually, so what I'm interested in first, so you had a first success with Foo events, right? And you're building on that. That's growing. Where did the idea for Foo sales uh, come from? Like, What was the origin of that?
0: We never really set out to create a, a second product because, uh, it's hard enough doing one, you know, in terms of focus, um, in terms of your your customer target audience. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess being entrepreneurs, we constantly looking out, we constantly have ideas. And the hardest part is also saying no. Sometimes, you know, it might just add. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in terms of food sales, uh, we were working actively on food events and we were still doing the agency thing at the time. And this was now around 20, late 2016. And we just noticed that there was just a, a big gap uh, in terms of WooCommerce and its functionality and what it could offer because there was no point of sale system. And we also, you know, obviously we were like very much monitoring um, the environment and uh, what was going on in terms of Woo, Woo's roadmap. And we noticed that you know, one of the, the, the most commonly requested features from the public. Was a point of sale system. That was the most commonly requested feature at the time, and we we you know we had often spoken about it because some uh, one of our, our team members um, is involved in an in an online business um, that sells records, and uh, you know we had, we had noticed that. They they used Woo for their for selling these records online. Um, and they were in the process of opening a store, a physical store.
2: Ah, so they went from the virtual to the physical. Yes. yes.
0: And and you know that is a trend that we, we we saw starting to emerge as opposed to the other way around, which was the early e com right. days. And one of their kind of struggles and challenges was that they they really deep deep into the woo ecosystem you know they had like 10,000 products listed in the online store but now they had this challenge of what kind of point of sale system do they do they use when they open their store and you know there were all sorts of there, there, were, there was nothing native to woocommerce at the time um, but there were all sorts of crazy bridges and middleware and things like that available and they were all clunky, prone to errors um, so there was nothing seamless and uh, specifically designed to take an, an, a woo store and, and allow people to sell in person. So it was kind of a combination of, of, you know, a real world uh, problem that needed to be solved as and, and verifying that with data being what the public were, were voting for. And and that's where the origins of that came from, uh, that product. And of course, having the team to be able to build it was a different story.
2: So speaking of the team, like at that point, how much experience had you had building native applications? Like
0: a lot, a lot, so because of the agency business, that was one of the the services we offered, so we had we had built a number of native uh, uh iOS and Android apps at the time, so once again, we wouldn't have been able to really uh execute that
2: right to me that that's a pretty big like risk if you don't have that experience because yes, I, I was actually going to guess that you didn't and you were you figured it out as you went, but the fact that you did added just another piece to the stack. And I think it's it's one of the things that's easy to underrate about service backgrounds is that you can actually have quite the range of experience when you've been successful at it and you've built up, and you, especially if you have a diverse clientele, there's lots of things. You, so, so you had had experience building apps. So you're sitting at this intersection of Foo events having grown, seeing this sort of demand in the space, seeing this like, okay, there's a lot of, uh, there's demand for it. there aren't a lot of great solutions. We actually could do this. Uh, what was that? Was the decision like, was there a particular point that stands out to you where it's like you made that decision? Or like, what was like, how was it hard to make that decision once you got there? Like, what was that like? To, to begin investing?
0: Yeah, it, it was quite a bit harder with Foo Sales because of the complexity of the product. You know, I think with, with Foo Events, we had learned how our lessons of the past of investing too much in, in the sideline pr- uh, products that we worked on without them being validated, so to speak, and coming up with a brand, building a website, spending money on Google AdWords before we even had customers. Um, And that was the kind of lesson that we had learned uh, in the past. Uh, So with Foo Events, once we had built the minimum viable product, we just slapped that onto Code Canyon. We didn't spend any money on marketing. We didn't build a brand or, or a website or anything like that. And we sort of let it evolve from there before we decided to start selling it directly and, and taking it more seriously. So we just, you know, we made sure we had sales first. We made sure we got a lot of customer feedback. Uh, food Sales was a little bit different in the sense that um, it's it we designed it as a, a SaaS product from from the get go and as anyone knows that that's worked in SaaS, you know, it takes a long time to to build up customer base and, uh, you know, a lot of, long time to make money, actually. With that, we sort of used, uh, I mentioned the record store, they, they were kind of like our first customer, they still use it. Um, so they, they were like a great t- test case for us and, and use case for us. And we, we got a lot of initial feedback from them right from the beginning. So that was helpful. I think if we had just built it and launched it and you know, hoped and prayed that people would come, <laughs> that would have been a different story. So we we launched it as a free product. So it was actually free for, for about two years whilst we worked on building it. And the reason we could do that was because we had the luxury of having another product and through events and also, you know, having revenue coming in through, the, through our agency business. It, it had it was a long time in incubation and uh over that time we learned so much about the market, um about the needs and one of you know the the biggest complaints we started to get uh, after in that incubation period from from people was that it was free and they didn't trust it <laughs> so you know we were like we businesses and stuff and and investing in a point of sale system even if it's free there's a lot of time and energy that goes into it training getting the right equipment for example and we don't want to worry that you're a fly by night and that you know you could be closed tomorrow so why is it free you know how do we know you sustainable <laughs> so that at that point that was the kind of real point where we knew okay We've, we've kind of validated this. We know that there's a lot of work, a lot of functionality that people want. It's it's not a small undertaking. But we know that if we're getting repeated requests asking why it's free because people are like, we want to give you money for it, um, that's a good time to start to commercialize it. And uh, we knew that we were onto something at that point. And this was towards the end of 2019. And um, of course, once we, uh, started commercializing it early 2020 we, we we started to build up clients that's when when COVID struck and we <laughs> we lost most of them at that point but anyway we've rebounded and, and I think the point I just want to make is that we knew that that the timing was right when people were kind of asking you know why it's free and we would rather pay you for this and kind of peace of mind
2: one more thing I'm curious about in your entrepreneurial journey uh, you're you're showing you're it sounds like you exercise quite a bit of care and deliberation and patience even in making these decisions. Was that always the case or was that a learned, like, was, is that how I used, because it, it's in contrast to what another approach, which is just like trying things, going out there and like, let's just, let's just go for it and see what happens. Um, but yeah, there's different f- approaches and I'm hearing a pretty like measured sort of careful, like let's make sure And I'm curious how much of that is just like how you guys have done it or how much of that was.
0: Yeah, that's a great, it's actually a great question because I think there are many different approaches in entrepreneurship. There isn't one uh, size fits all approach, but I think in our case um, we do prefer to, to be more measured and calculated. Um, Some of it comes from past experience, just in the sense that, you know, we've realized how we've maybe wasted time and resources um, and, and energy by, Jumping on something before validating it first, testing the market first, but bo- building it based on customer feedback—that type of thing. Um, so a lot of it just comes from from trial and error, I guess. Um, and then the second part to that is just that being a bootstrapped company, it's 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 our money. We don't have have a safety net. Um, so you know, time and money has has a real you know can can really affect us in a, in a sense so you know possibly if we had a big war chest we would be a little bit more aggressive and go out there and try and make things uh, see what sticks but in our case we we prefer to to do it organically just because it's it's a bit safer too yeah that
2: makes sense
1: as a builder or an agency managing multiple sites check out hostinger.com their infrastructure brings your client site speed uptime and security. Also at your fingertips, you'll find a powerful suite of tools for security and performance, code and content management. Now add to that the ability to manage your WordPress website through WPCLI for control configuration and plugin updates, enhanced WordPress acceleration powered by Lightspeed Enterprise, control over auto updates, free migrations, and of course, the essential staging sites through all of their services and features comes e-commerce optimization for your clients who shops. So when you think about it, overall, everything you need to keep your client sites running smooth can be found with their agency hosting at Hostinger.com.
2: Okay, so... Uh, end of 2019, like uh, you're you're investing into Foo Sales, it's starting to pick up. 2020 hits, you hit the, you have the drop, but then you, you make the switch and catch us up. It's been about three years since. What are what have been some of the highlights of food Sales in the interim period?
0: yeah well I think the first highlight was just seeing seeing it rebound you know at at one point in twenty twenty we had sort of uh we'd put it on ice in the sense that we weren't doing any new um active development on it we were still fully supporting all the customers we had but we just weren't doing we weren't releasing on any new features and we were kind of doubling down on few events at the time because you know that's where the virtual side and you know things like um lock booking seats for social distancing there was all these these crazy features outside of even just virtual events that we we got requested things like keeping a log of who's checked in and checked out through our check-ins app for food events so once again things that weren't on the roadmap and they were very specific to COVID but they're still being used now for various uh, things so it's, it's actually ended up helping the product we we see it made a big difference to to the product anyway those features um so yeah we we were we were doubling down on food events at the time and foo sales the biggest thing was that we've we managed to get those customers back and i think that also says a lot about the resilience of small businesses you know many of them sadly did did shut down but Many of them have come back, um, maybe in different forms, um, and we've seen our, our customer base grow um, and strengthen, and now, you know, we surpassed where we were pre-COVID in terms of our, our customer base, and uh, from from a kind of functionality perspective, it's just been incredible to see uh, what people are are using foo sales for, and I think this says a lot about the Woo ecosystem. If I can bring it back to that, just how flexible a Woo is as as a e-commerce platform, and how we are really starting to see the omni-channel kind of dream being fulfilled, because we we are seeing a lot of our customers that are they either brick-and-mortar stores that want to go online and use use Woo. Um, as their platform but food sales is the kind of conduit because it allows them to sell you know in person as well and then we're seeing the the vice versa too so a lot of online stores that are opening up pop-up shops or you know they have markets or, or you know that type of thing so um and foo sales allows them to be able to use one database one one e-commerce store um so so that's been very exciting to see that and just how yeah the the different use cases you know we 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 seen people uh using using foo sales to to place orders over the telephone for example and process payments there we' are seeing restaurants using it for for ordering for takeaway uh, um, joints for example um, and we're getting a lot of requests around fulfillment so so customers wanting to to use it as an inventory management system um, purely as an inventory management system so um, and with foo sales they can do that with with having woo as the the kind of platform supporting it so it's it's very exciting uh, to see how woo has kind of being become entrenched in various industries and, and what it's being used for. We can see that being at the coalface. face.
2: What when you look to the, the so you've you've rebounded that stabilized again. I can hear like you guys are excited about it. There's a lot like and, and I think and what I'm hearing you say is a lot of what's driving that is seeing that real world. Like you see what people are doing with it. You see the creativity. You're and especially because you're seeing that the small business like, uh, the, the entrepreneurship, like the, like if a small business is going to succeed, they, they typically have to have a very clear like value alignment. And so you're getting to see things generally that are like much closer to value where it's like, you can see the merit in the things that they're doing. And I, th- I imagine that's energizing in of itself. As you look at the next couple of years, uh, what are, what are you looking forward to with food sales? Like what are, what are, so for you as an entrepreneur, like, what are some of the the challenges, the opportunities as you look at like the next three years for food sales as a product?
0: I think uh, one of the biggest challenges is just um, we've got so many things on our roadmap, and uh, it's how we prioritize. So, you know, we're not worried about uh, finding features—that's for sure. Um, we're worried about how to prioritize them. Um, so, because you know, I mentioned that there's a we have a very um, kind of uh uh diverse customer base um which is amazing but one of the challenges around that is that they're very different use cases so there's a lot of kind of feature requests that are specific to those different use cases that we need to to prioritize Um, so it's deciding on who do we who do we prioritize first as customers? You know, do we focus more on retailers? Do we focus more on customers that want to use it for inventory management um, or fulfillment, for example? So there's there's a number of different kind of use cases that we need to decide where, where do we go next and what what do we double down on? How do you decide that? like just to, let's take that cuz that's a
2: pretty pivotal like let's it could let, I'm just going to take a guess like it could take a year of development a small team to like take one of those bets right like okay we're going to become more inventory focused versus or more like broad use case focus H- how do you decide that
0: yeah it's it's difficult i mean i think um some of it some of it comes from from our internal discussions and we just look at like where there's low-hanging fruit, for example, and where we can just make some interface changes or uh, spend a day or two working on, on on a new feature that will make unlock whole new opportunities. So we we tend to to look at things where for a small amount of work we can unlock a lot of potential and uh, uh, get a lot of uh, get a high return on investment. So that's that's. Quite a big uh, part of that. Um, the other part is just looking at you know we we keep a lot of data around what customers have requested. We informed a lot by what our customer supports, what the kind of issues and the feature requests that come through there. Um, and then we have a feature notification uh, sign up on on, our, on all our roadmaps that uh, we look at quite regularly and just see where the demand is. So I would say it's a combination of of data, hard data that we look at, as well as what strategic decisions that we make internally where we feel like, you know, with a little bit of work, we can really unlock a lot lot of value.
2: That's excellent. So, so far... Um, you've had three years of growth. You've recovered. What, what's been the key to growth so far? Like growing, as you alluded to earlier, I, you know, experience can vary, but generally when you're building a SaaS, there's kind of this like slow and steady vibe, right? Like each customer, the fact that you have a customer that you started out with is a good example of like, okay, we're building this well. We're not just like doing it fast. We're, we're being careful about this. What's been the key to your growth so far?
0: Yeah, I think the key to our growth has been listening to our customers. I really do feel um, that can't be overstated. If if we hadn't listened to our customers, that we probably would have gone in a very different direction. Um, and and like I'll give you a very good example of that would be um, when when we first bought through sales, we didn't actually have a web version for it, so it was strictly app because that's how we envisioned it would be used and how we thought we would be most differentiated. Um, but what we actually realized is that, you know, customers want a web version because they want to be able to just run like a cheap Windows computer um, in their store, or they want it to be, have the option to be multi-platform, which is exactly what we are. So they could, for example, have a Windows computer um, in their store at checkout, but they could also have an iPad um closer to the entrance where they could use both terminals running food sales with all their inventory and everything in sync. So, so that was, that's a great example where we would never have, have, uh, thought that that would be, you know, a, a direction we would take. So I think listening to our customers, um, keeping track of what's going on in, in the e-commerce, kind of, you know, with, with trends, um, with with what small businesses are doing, the kind of trends. And we've seen, you know, a lot of uncertainty this this year, actually, over the last 12 months or so around, is there a recession? Is there going to be a soft landing? What's happening? And it's, it's looking more likely that that there isn't going to be a hard recession, which is which is great, and we're starting to see a lot more traction um, in terms of small businesses now that we maybe taking a wait and see approach in terms of. Do they spend more money uh, or do they hold on to it? Um, and now we're starting to see people are, are, are feeling a little bit more confident uh, around that. And they are starting to maybe open up an, a new business or a new store and that type of thing or put on a new event. And and that's obviously really good for, for our business.
2: So one of the challenges that you alluded to is the is for a small team bootstrapped, there's this this challenge of how do you decide between all the opportunities. So you you talk through the approach. Are there any other challenges that stand out to you as you look at the next couple of years? Like,
0: if not, lots of challenges. Uh, I'd say the other kind of important one is is around uh, partnerships um, and integrations um, and distribution. So so those are our I'd say off the top of my head. Besides features, um, those would be the other three things. Um, so basically. Partnerships, we've realized that, you know, in WordPress and in WooCommerce, uh, we all interlinked. Um, so trying to do it alone um can only get you so far. So we're definitely, you know, very open to partnerships and, and working with other companies um for, for to mutually benefit all of us and including the whole Woo community and customers that use Woo. Um in terms of integrations, we've realized a lot of requests. We get a lot of requests around integrations with Foo Sales, um, which then allows it to be even more extensible and do weird and wonderful things that currently might be limited because we don't uh, specifically integrate with a certain plugin or service. So that's that's a big one. I mean, we could have a whole department just working on integrations. Um, so yeah, those those are the top ones, and then distribution, of course, which is just uh, getting more eyeballs to, to try our products, increasing awareness.
2: Increasing awareness. Like the part of the, the challenge is like you've done all this work slow and steady over the years. You've got point of sale that works both on the browser in the, in like native, et cetera. And the challenge is that there's people who just don't know that that's an option, right? Like they're looking at woo, but that's, that's not obvious to them. And once they discover it, like, so one of the things that you originally ran into if it was free, it'd probably be too good to be true, <laughs> right? They're like, what? You're telling me this, 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 and this. And so it ends up becoming, how do you just connect with the people who would be a good fit for this? There are last time am recalling like 6 million plus WooCommerce installs, according to like the built with data. And it's like, there's a good chance that a, a, a much higher percentage of those that I'm guessing are now currently using food sales would be a good fit. You just have to figure
0: out how to make that connection yes and uh to extend on that you know there's a lot of customers that don't know anything about wordpress or woo that are looking for solutions like they might be starting a new business and they're looking for a solution to be able to sell products online or over the telephone or in person and uh you know, so 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 the addressable market gets extended beyond even just existing Woo, e customers, and we're looking at you know anyone that really wants to start an e-commerce business. So, um, so there are lots of eyeballs out there.
2: So, I want to take a little bit of a step back in time. So, for we have a lot of builders that listen to this. Um, you're, there's a lot of agency folks uh, as well. Um, many of us have had experience doing service work, etc. And I think the, the, what I like about, there's a lot of things I like about your journey and the experience that you guys have had. It's a bit, there's a bit of this cliche that like the grass is greener on the other side. Right. So I, it's on, it's not uncommon to talk to service people who like wish they could do product. And I've talked to product companies who like wish they could like have more of this. Like, it's like, if it's product and scale, then you kind of wish you could go more up market and before too long, you're kind of back in that service uh, mindset again. So like that, that's interesting. I think that's more about human nature and just like, but if I, if you take back your experience for those who are in the service space and, and thinking about product, like taking what you've done so far in the, the three years since, are there any particular like lessons or, or, or pieces of guidance that you'd offer for those thinking about making that jump?
0: Yeah. Um, I would say, firstly, you need to make sure that you really do want to get involved in products because, <laughs> like you said, there m- might be kind of a certain sexiness around it to some people, but it's, uh, it's a lot of work It's and it's very different. It's very, very different, you know. Um, so now, as a service business, you know, Revenue was a lot more guaranteed. Obviously, you know there, there were times where it went up and down, but especially if you have a lot of existing clients that are happy with what you do and you've got retainers in place, you know that's kind of guaranteed revenue. Whereas when you're starting off with products, there's no guaranteed revenue, and you, you don't even know what the ceiling is, the glass ceiling is might be for your your particular idea, your your plugin, or your product or service. So. You know, the first thing is just making sure that you committed and that you, you know, you have the necessary skills to to work on, on a product. Um, for us, it was something we were actively trying the whole time. And we're we happy we made that that jump um, because we just love working on our own brands. Uh, whereas some people get satisfaction working on other people's brands and, and helping them to succeed. So I think it's just firstly making that distinction between what type of of entrepreneur you are, bolder you are. Um, I think also it's it's was quite tricky for us to pivot, being a bootstrap company and and with all our revenue initially coming from our agency. It took uh, you know a good few years whilst we had to balance the scales and slowly you know turn down agency work and you know, inform clients that we weren't going to be uh, offering certain services whilst we built up the product revenue. So it it took quite a long time for us to become fully product focused. Um, And I think it's even harder if you're a SaaS product. Um, So, you know, one of the options is to take investment. So that's certainly something that depending on how big your idea is, if you don't need to take investment, that's great. But you might want to look at that. If you, if you are, if you do have a big idea uh, around a product, um, it, it will be a lot easier to, to take investment than to try and uh, build up revenue whilst you're running your, your agency. Uh,
2: how do you guys feel about that now? Like you bootstrap this yourselves. Um, like, uh, so it's, it's easy to like, yeah, knowing what you know now, if you could go back and have had access under, under your terms, to like the capital to additional capital to grow faster would you have done that like
0: yeah i think you know looking at the two different products like few events um i feel like we we didn't need investment for it so that's like going back to what i said earlier i think just really evaluating what your idea is as a builder so few events is more a traditional kind of plugin that is, you know, grown and is now basically a platform with nine extensions and a check-ins app and stuff. So it's, it's its own ecosystem. And, um, sure, you know, with a, with a bit of capital, we could have maybe expedited it a little bit, but I still feel like that was a right decision not to take capital for few events. It wasn't capital intensive. Wasn't capital intensive. Exactly. Um, and we were getting, you know, nice annual licensing fees up front. So that that allowed us to, you know, kind of fund the the, the business. Um, with something like foo sales, I would say, yeah, that is probably, you know, we would have been better served by, by raising some capital there because firstly it's it's a SaaS product. And as I said, you don't really make any money out of SaaS for a very long time. Um and uh, secondly it would have allowed us just to really get to the point we are at now a lot faster you know so uh, it, there there's there's three platforms that we have to support plus these other things i've mentioned like integrations looking at partnerships and it's really its own company it should be its own company so um i would say there would have been a lot of value uh, uh, if we had raised some capital there and put a few more devs on well And part of
2: this goes back to your, your intentions as an entrepreneur and your vision for it. Like just, just from an outsider's perspective, looking at it, when you look at the size of the addressable market, this is part of what also warrants the capital decision or not, right? Like how big is the opportunity and what's your appetite as entrepreneurs? And, and part of what I'm hearing you say is like, when you look at the opportunity size for food sales, there's a lot, there's a lot more potential there. And, and so that makes it more warranted to say, is it worth for us? Is it worth us taking on a partner who's bringing capital and additional resources to help us reach more of that addressable market faster? And ultimately that comes down to, there's, there's a number of different factors. I think part of what you are describing similar, it's you know, what's the opportunity? What are the risks associated with it? How does this play to our strengths or not? What's that partner bringing to the table? What are the trade-offs? And, and cause ultimately You see opportunity in the space. At the time, there weren't players. I'm I'm guessing there are more coming in now, and and there's not a right or wrong. There's like benefits and trade offs. And what I'm hearing you say is like, as an entrepreneur, looking back, seeing that it's different, that the the nature and the scope and the potential, it's it's like okay, the playbook is similar but since this is a different type of product it warrants you taking another look and say okay we haven't done capital before so it's not an obvious thing for us but maybe that's so what i'm that's what i'm hearing is like for someone who's considering the different moves don't assume that capital is what you need to do if you've had success without it don't assume that that just that's just a repeat of the same thing because the next product that you're trying may not it, it may not be the same uh, base factors and I think the good news is that when you're focused on value for your customers, there's not really a right or wrong. It then goes back to your appetite as entrepreneurs. Like how much more impact do you want the product to have?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great summary, Jonathan. And yeah, and, and also a product can start off, you know, not not really requiring it. But I think you you can reach a certain point where you realize actually in order to take this to the next level, the resources required, the, maybe the marketing budget, whatever it might be. Um, even over the course of a product's lifecycle, you might reach a point where you just like you you do need to to raise some capital in order to achieve those object objectives.
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited to see what the next three years brings. It's been great watching you guys grow over the years and see that continued focus on value for the end user. It's uh it's really interesting. Like I. I think one of the things I loved how you described like the weird and wonderful sort of side of WooCommerce, right? Like there's a resilience and there's this sort of adaptability that's inherent in the space. It's been, it's been really fun to be a part of it and watch it grow. I think it's certainly one of the highlights of what uh, we have going on with Do the Woo is getting to hear these stories from folks sort of all over. So Colin, thank you for taking the time to share your story and uh, we're looking forward to, to doing this again. If, if folks are interested in connecting with you, what's the best way to, to get in touch?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my handle is, is, is it still Twitter? Twitter, Twitter Twitter X. I think everyone <laughs> just calls it Twitter X these days. Uh, and uh, my handle is at Youngblood. Um, so yeah, that's probably the best way or on LinkedIn. Cool.
2: And it's and the product is foosales.com, right?
0: Foosales.com and fooevents.com.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Colin.
0: Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, Bob
1: WP back in here. I want to thank Colin for sharing his story and helping you along that path to building better products. Also, I hope it's not 300 more episodes before we have him back on the show. And I'd like to thank Hostinger for their continued support. Make sure and check them out at hostinger.com. So that's it for today. It's a wrap. So make sure and keep on doing the woo.